the Swelty Podcast by Rx Sugar. That's sweet and healthy. Swelty. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Rx Sugar Swelty Podcast. Swelty, sweet and healthy podcast. I'm joined today by my amazing co-host, Miss Alexi Melvin. Say hi to the people, Alexi. Hello to the people. Thanks for joining. <laughs> awesome. And we are joined today by 10-time Olympic medalist, Mr. Gary Hall Jr. He's He's been a world record holder. He's been the best in the world at his sport, which is swimming, in case you don't know, but you should know that. Um, and uh, has, has just been to the pinnacle uh, of a sport. And I, I got to say, Gary, I sit here and I'm just amazed to be speaking with someone who who at one point in time was the absolute best in the history of the world at anything, Um, let alone such an incredible sport as swimming, which I find uh, just fascinating. I ran, I can move my legs at the same time, my coordination for swimming is not that great. but really just uh, I'm trying not to like fanboy over here, but I'm super impressed, Gary. And, and on top of that, uh, in the midst of your career, caught, caught a diagnosis for, for type 1 diabetes and, and overcame that. And, and we're just really excited to talk to you and, and so grateful to have you here today and, and excited to hear uh, your story. Thanks for having me on. Hello and power to the people. And yeah, what a kind, generous very generous introduction. I, uh, I'm a humble guy and it's, uh, um, yeah, yeah, so, uh, so kind uh, of you to, uh, mention my uh, history in the sport and, um, and, and the advocacy work and, in, 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 you know, dealing with the diabetes diagnosis and, and trying to uh, help and encourage others along the way. Um, thank you. Absolutely. I, I'm so curious about your fitness journey, essentially, you know, before, let's say like pre and post diagnosis, right? So leading up to, you know, you figuring out that this is what you want to do, right? Like, let's, let's hear about how that happened versus how maybe how your journey and your mindset changed after getting diagnosed with type one diabetes. Okay, so I'll start at the beginning, I joined a year-round swim program at around 13 years old and um, dove in, started going to two practices a day almost right away. And by 14, uh, you know, I was, I was training uh, with the senior group and, and um, committing myself to the sport in, in, a, in a big way. You know, I was not good. I did not show any promise of uh, one day being an Olympian, um, you have to pay your dues. And that's why my parents wanted me involved in sport, to learn the discipline and commitment, hard work, uh, piece of uh, sport enrollment. And um, I graduated up through the ranks, uh, one stroke at a time. And um, Before I was diagnosed with uh, diabetes, I had competed in one Olympic Games. And at that point, to reach the Olympic level, you can't be training less than five hours a day. That's really the minimum that it takes with one day off uh, in the week. And um, 
you know, that's a lot of work out of the pool as well as in the pool. A lot of focus on human performance. So in terms of sports psychology, nutrition, um, and, and strength training, um, a lot of work in those areas as, as well as just swim and laps. Mm-hmm. After the diagnosis, I had to change things. Um, the way that I was managing diabetes at the time, it was at the tail end of NPH days for uh, basal insulin dosing. And you, uh, that, what that means to lay people is that you give yourself an injection, and in about four hours, you know, around lunchtime, if you didn't eat, you'd have a terrible crashing low blood sugar episode. And uh, they've since stabilized basal uh, baseline insulin um, to eliminate that kind of peak. Um, And uh, that made things a lot easier uh, for me in managing the diabetes. Another huge breakthrough in diabetes management technology, and I wish that I had this while I was training and competing, is the continuous glucose monitoring devices. Um, so I was going to say, yeah, that would have made it much easier. Yeah. So my training, I, it still involved a lot of work. And, and there were days where I was training eight hours a day. Um, but the type of training that I was doing changed after the diagnosis. And it actually catered toward my events and that I was, had to break things up in a way which uh, made it uh, more of an anaerobic focus rather than an aerobic type of training. But if you do anaerobic training for eight hours a day, my argument was that is aerobic training. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I, I trial and error process through a trial and error process, figured out little tricks that I could do to um, allow me to get through the necessary training to stay, you know, at an elite level in the sport of swimming uh, mm-hmm. post diagnosis. What are some of those tricks? Well, initially, I, I was finding that with a, a aerobic type of training, I was having these huge drops from my blood sugar. So I'd start with my blood sugar, anticipating these drops at 250 range, whereas uh, for lay people without diabetes, 100 is a perfect uh, blood sugar level. Um, so uh, I'd start with it high, um, and, and there was a problem with that in that It was ineffective training. I I could get through it, but I was just fatigued easily and winded until the levels dropped down below 200. So anywhere between 100 and 200, I felt like I was getting more out of my training. And um, I'd have a window where it it would be dropping down because of the exercise, and then it would go low. I'd have to get out of the pool, get juice, treat the low, be a little bit dazed and confused for 10, 15 minutes and then be able to get back into practice and resume. So I was dealing with these short windows within a a practice uh, where I I was uh, being effective. And one of the tricks that I learned early on was that if I started with my blood sugar at about 150 instead of 250 um, and ate something immediately as I was commencing the exercise, um, that I would be able to create a, a plateauing effect through the duration of the swim practice. I'd often get a spike about an hour, within an hour after the swim practice with this approach, but that was so much easier than uh, treating a low 
And I was able to sustain that, that kind of window, if you will, of, of ideal thing. So, Gary, from a, from a timeline perspective, right? So your first Olympics were, was 96, right? Right. In Atlanta. I was there. I wasn't competing. I was, like, in high school. But I was there. It was super cool. Um, and then the diagnosis came in 99, right? Correct. How, like, how did that impact you personally, mentally? Like, were you scared of your career being over? Or did you just approach it and were like, it's just another thing. I'll be fine. Like, where were you at mentally when you got the diagnosis initially? Yeah, gosh, I, I don't know of anybody who was like, mm, I'll be fine upon diagnosis. You know, you're told about all the complications uh, that, that, that come with it, this, this disease if it's not managed properly. And it's terrifying. Uh, you know, the thought of going blind or not having the use of your kidneys or losing right. uh, your feet, uh, right. chipping away slowly, you know. Um, all the circulatory problems, and, uh, hypertension, and stroke, and coma, and everything that can go wrong. So if you're like, oh, no big deal, there's something wrong with you, you know? Um, so it was not that, it was shell shock. I was reeling, I was terrified, because this wasn't just, hey, you have this chronic condition now that you can have to manage for the rest of your life. And, it could do all these horrible things to you. It was also, I'm unemployed now. And everything that I've dedicated my entire life to has just been taken away from me. Right. Gosh. And so, yeah, it was, it was tough. And, and it's common, um, you know, after, after a, a, a diagnosis like this, uh, to experience the, grief, the steps of grief. Right. Uh, so there's definitely depression, anger, the why me questions, and, you know, why does this have to happen now, and, you know, all the, uh, yeah, questioning your future, uh, and, and, and it changed, it changed, um, it changes everybody, and um, you definitely start appreciating um, what you have. Um, you know, you view mortality in a different way. It makes you ask all those questions, like, my time here is limited, you know, what am I doing with my life? You know, big questions, right, to get your head around. And uh, so, you know, it, it, it was uh, not something that I was able to um, accept uh, right away. Um, it, I, there's processing. There's process, and so I, I uh, went through that. Got it. And did you happen to know any other athletes at all that had type one? And you know, did you maybe have any inspirations that uh, motivated you from time to time? No, there weren't role models that had type one diabetes that had done what I had hoped for. Mm -hmm. And there were athletes from the past that had done well in sport, but the one that I, I'm thinking of was in a wheelchair with four complications. And, you know, the, I, I remember getting uh, a, a book shortly after my diagnosis, and it was supposed to be uplifting stories of people with type 1 diabetes. 
And one of the stories in the motivational book was a guy that went blind and was still able to live a productive life despite being blind. <laughs> you know, this is, this is the stuff that's supposed to, you know, make me feel better. Uh, I, it's not working. So, right. you know, I, it, it, it just, um, so no, there was no assurance that, you know, any, any of what I wanted to do could be done. Um, there was one guy uh, that I knew, he was on the master swim team, he was in his 60s um, at the time of my diagnosis. And, um, you know, we had struck up conversation. I knew him, you know, friendly, you know, we had conversations at the pool. And he told me that he had type 2 diabetes and that he had had it for a, a while and that, you know, he just makes some changes and stuff like that. But I didn't have anybody saying, this is how you navigate or juice works faster than granola and treating a low blood sugar or, you know, that type of stuff. Um, there's very, very, very few um, communities. Um, you know, at that time, we're talking late 90s, online forums and diabetes support groups and stuff like that weren't, weren't a thing. And so, you know, I, um, yeah, I, I didn't have a roadmap. Yeah, it's amazing, right? I was diagnosed in 2003, and I don't remember anything. Like, no communities. It was just kind of like... I, I bought a book with carb counts in it. You know what I mean? Like, imagine not being able to Google stuff like that so easily, and like, you know, much less have a, you know a strong community in place that you know you can talk to and reach out to, and you know, connect with other athletes. And yeah, it's it's amazing, um, you know, how how things have changed. But that must have been terribly complicated and frustrating at times. Well, for everyone, diabetes is frustrating. Yeah. Yep. So, outside of uh, other athletes that you you could have looked up to that that weren't really there, who around you in your life really was instrumental in helping you through that time from diagnosis to you know what you were able to accomplish just a year later? Ann Peters, Dr. Ann Peters, is uh, well-respected in the community as an authority in uh, diabetes management and sport and physical activity. She's worked with incredibly successful people uh, in their own respective sports and disciplines um, and, and helping them manage their diabetes. She was uh, the most influential. And her, she you know, had a support team, a nutritionist and dietitian, and, uh, diabetes nurse educator. And so, uh, yeah, that team really, uh, they, I, I couldn't have done it without them. Um, uh, but outside of that, you know, I was 24 when I was diagnosed. And so my parents never learned. They still don't know what, how to treat a low blood sugar or, you know, like what to do in the event of something like that. Um, and, you know, my coach, uh, I was, was very supportive and accommodating, allowing uh, low blood sugar and whatever needed to be done. You know, he, he was willing to, you know, uh, take those additional steps uh, to accommodate this condition. Um, but again, like, he, he wasn't an expert. He wasn't, you know, carb counting or anything. Speaking of carb counting, um, I'm curious what your diet is like like what is your nutrition life and did that did that change a lot 
um, after you, you were diagnosed, did you shift your um, diet to something that was a little more manageable or did you kind of just stick to what you knew? Well, I was already eating well as a, a top level athlete. Um, yeah, and, and had gone through, you know, uh, college where you eat pizza and, and, and that type of, you know, uh, you know, junk food, gas station food, uh, Frito-Lay brand type stuff. And, you know, I, I don't hate on it. I, I, I'm not like vegan, uh, disciplined vegan or, or uh, keto or, you know, I, I've never taken up uh, any of the radical diets that have faded in and faded out through the years. Um, you know, I always try to eat healthy with a good portion of vegetables and, and, and fruit involved and, and you know, protein. And, and I was training at the, an elite level and every Olympian I know, even now to this day, consumed a lot of carbohydrates. You have to feel, I mean, if you're exercising for six to eight hours a day, you're burning so many calories and you just needed the fuel, right? So on the one hand, and, you know, diabetes saying, you know, try to reduce carbs, um, but the demands of sport were saying you need carbs. And so I, um, I continued, you know, with, with carbs through my training um, because I had to. Very good. So just I'm going to I'm going to say nice things about you again, Gary, just because periodically I'm going to do that. I said I would. Um, so 99 diagnosis, 2000 set the American record in the 50 meter, right? I did. I did. It was a, a record set by uh, uh, a guy that I really looked up to in the sport, Tom Jagger. Uh, he was a world record holder. And, and, and I, I, I got to know Tom. Our careers overlapped by a day. So as he was uh, rotating out of the sport, I was just coming onto the circuit. We had a mutual friend that introduced us. And he was a guy that I really looked up to and respected. And so to break that uh, American record of his, um, you know, was and, and, and doing so in the qualification process of making the 2000 Olympic team, uh, the um, in, in, in um, Sydney, um, yeah, it, it was a passing of the torch that that I um, really appreciated. That's really incredible to think of of getting that diagnosis and hearing all you went through to understand it mentally, how to manage it physically, and then to get to that level of achievement is remarkable. So congratulations. And, and, and again, it's, it's a congratulations without what you faced with what you did face. I think I speak for Alexi and everybody listening that, that just remarkable, really remarkable. Thank you. Thank you. It was uncharted territory. I uh, was the first person with type one diabetes uh, to qualify and medal in the Olympic Games uh, in, any, in any sport. So it, it, it lived to be a motivating factor at some point, at some point, that if I could do this, if I could, if I could be successful at any level in the sport, not let diabetes stop me, there was a possibility that I could inspire some kid or make the diagnosis a little bit less scary. And so, you know, I, it's a tremendous honor representing the United States of America. All, all that I love about my childhood, about good people that I know, you know, back home, 
this is a, a tremendous honor. You know, the, the greatest that any athlete can be bestowed. Yeah. Um, but to represent all people with diabetes from around the world, this is uh, a, an additional, you know, a level of, of, of uh, one, responsibility, um, but also a, a, a level of support, too. You know, I, I felt yeah. of not just my nation, but also the diabetes yeah, exactly. And I, I've I've seen you at a you know a couple conferences now. Um, what are some ways that you get involved with the community these days? Well, initially, after the in the year after the Olympics, um, I ended up uh, after two thousand uh, going on tour um, every JDRF event, black tie galas, walks, bike rides, you name it, I've done it. I attended the first Children's Congress, and that was before I qualified for the Olympics. I had already connected with JDRF before I had success at the Olympic Games. And so obviously with that connection, raising money, raising awareness, getting backdoor tours of research uh, incredible research uh, organizations and, and, and um, yeah, I, I, I just threw myself into it, uh, you know, a passion pursuit. And, 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 and um, yeah, there were, I mean, for that year after the Olympics, both in 2000 and again in 2004, when I made it back, um, you know, it was three cities a week, um, you know, just nonstop, nonstop. And so that has been scaled back. I uh, had a couple kids and, you know, took time out to help raise them and, you know, the re join the real world upon retirement from the sport of swimming and, you know, working. And, and, and so that limits me to how involved I can be, but I'm still very involved. Uh, still love going to the conferences. And what's neat, um, Alexi, when I was down at the Children with Diabetes Conference down in Florida, it was so strange um, to come across adults who were maybe working with diabetes companies and, and working in the booths and, and it were part of the conference. And a couple of them came up and showed me a picture um, at the first uh, Children with Diabetes conference, which I attended um, 20 years ago. And there's like me in a picture with like a little kid, you know, and, and now they're all grown up and they're, you know, the ones carrying the torch forward to, you know, introduce and, and promote uh, better ways of uh, managing diabetes uh, to those of us living with it. And so, yeah, it, yes, it made me feel old, <laughs> but it also made me feel really good, too, because I'm really proud to say I was at the first Children with Diabetes Conference. Right. I'm really proud to say I was at the first children, uh, uh, Children's Congress for JDRF. You know, and, and so that history of being involved in the diabetes community and that history of advocacy and, and trying to help uh, others, um, I, I, yeah, that's the stuff that makes me feel good. Absolutely. And as old as you may feel, I, you know, I heard people at that conference talking about you and how they had met you in years past and how you were such a big inspiration for them to now be doing what they're doing in those booths, you know, helping people and, you know, expanding the technology and our tools. And, you know, it's, it's amazing. So you, you were a big, a big part of their journey, which is just 
I can't th think of a bigger honor, honestly. So that's You're being that's generous amazing. with big, but uh, even if I was just a very small bit of inspiration along the way, that's that's I'll take it. Thank you. Of course. Amazing. So I've got to ask just so favorite Olympic memory that you have. It's easy to point to winning a gold medal at the Olympic Games in an individual event. You're the best in the world at what you've dedicated your life to. Um, it is uh, a dream for so many, and only one gets, gets there. Right. And there's no, I, you know, I, and the fact that the Olympics only roll around every four years. Right. You know, the pressure for this it is... It's unbelievable. I, I can't compare it to anything else I've ever done. I don't know, uh, you know, what, how, how to relate it to other people, um, how intense the pressure is to perform at that level for this one moment in time that you only have. I mean, if it's a long career, a couple shots, three shots. I mean, it, it, that's it's hard. I think it was like point zero 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 seven percent chance of making an, one Olympic team if you're a competitive swimmer in the United States. Wow. And so to do it three times, I don't know what that multiplier is, but it's a, it's a, it's a small <laughs> Yes. Um, so, you know, it, it, yeah, yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. And obviously, swimming's in your family, right? Dad was an Olympian, other yes. members of your family. Do we have a new generation of Halls coming in to swim? What's going on? Uh, I, I do come from a, a swimming heritage. Um, and, and it is something that um, also, you know, I talk about representing the United States and, and, and the diabetes community. Um, you know, I also come from a line of swimmers dating back generations. Uh, very accomplished. Um, the best swimmers uh, in the world. My father was uh, multi uh, 10 world records through his swimming career. The uh, only swimmer to ever carry the flag for the United States in the Olympic Games until Michael Phelps came along. And uh, now there's only two of them. Um, so that's not bad company to keep uh, in that accomplishment. The world swimmer of the year twice. And he met my mom at a swim meet. My maternal grandfather was the fastest swimmer in the world and the years after world war ii in which he served when they didn't have the olympic games he won the collegiate championships which was the fastest meet um his son my maternal uncle was on the 1976 olympic team uh with my uh father and um he got fifth uh in those games and so um representing that yeah that heritage heritage you know um was also uh, something that I uh, was was proud to do. Amazing. And it, it, the question about my kids uh, carrying on the torch, no pressure, uh, really. Uh, awesome. I, 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 yeah, I, I, you know, you can lead a swim to the water, but you can't make them. It's my expression. <laughs> and I love my kids, and they're doing great and they know how to swim. And I don't know if they're going to carry on the torch or not. That's completely up to them. I'm a cheerleader for them, uh, regardless awesome. of what direction they take it. That's awesome. That's really cool. I love that. Um, I, I have one more question. I have to ask you, Gary, you've beaten up a shark. I wouldn't say 
beat up a shark, but I, I punched a shark that bit my sister. <laughs> it tell, you got to tell me that story. How, like, how did that happen? We were spearfishing in the Florida Keys, and okay. it's something that I grew up doing. It's why I fell in love with swimming, swimming in the ocean. Um, and we were just doing what we knew and loved to do. And uh, there was black tip reef shark uh, that got a little frisky, uh, bit my sister in the arm um, before I even saw it because it had come in in a direction where she was kind of blocking my view and circled around her and uh, circled around her fins uh, to my fins. Um, I had a fish with me kind of uh, trying to lift it up out of the water and uh, I thought I wanted the fish. I threw the fish and it, it didn't go after the fish. It went after me. So I had... I tried to kick away from it um, as, as, as fast as I could. I can outswim a shark pretty fast, but not that fast. And um, in the process of trying to kick away from it, I kicked it a few times. Um, and, and then, you know, it started getting snappy. And uh, I, I started just punching because you're in a fight or flight mode. And that's all I could do. <laughs> in the moments that it was happening. It all happened pretty fast. And, you know, a few more black tip reef sharks started circling in, started frenzy, frenzy mode. And yeah, a little hairy, a little hairy. But uh, we got her, got BB back, my sister, uh, back to the boat. Um, put a little tourniquet on it. It wasn't life-threatening. We had, you know, we <laughs> a nervous laugh, but uh, and, and a lot of relief in the yeah. laugh. Once we got back into the boat, but yeah, we got her to the hospital and stitched up and she went uh, spearfishing, um, diving again um, the, the day she got her stitches out. Wow. That's awesome. And if we're going to have a, a, a scar, uh, you know, a shark, shark fight is, uh, you know. That's a, that's a good one. A good scar. Exactly. Yeah. That's a great scar. <laughs> this scar should have a good story. Yes. Nice. Well, I'm not sure how to come back from that question, but uh, we. I know. I'm sorry. I was just super excited to talk about <laughs> it's that. Funny. It's funny because yeah, it, it is. It's on the internet, right? So I get asked about it a lot. I feel like I've told the story a billion times, and, uh, <laughs> and it's, yeah, people, you know, they want to hear about the shark story. That's for sure. Like more people, probably more interested in the shark story than oh, tell me what it was like uh, competing in the Olympic Games. A little bit about. I, I don't know about that, but they're both really good stories. They're both really good <laughs> topics. Yeah, I mean, you're always guaranteed to have material on, let's say, a podcast. You know, that is a that's a good one to have under your belt. Um, so we've we've discussed your career. We've talked about your involvement in the Type One community. Um, what else are you doing these days? I am wanting to put together a diabetes swim series. And I have been doing swim clinics um, for a long time. And I've been doing diabetes work for a long time. And I want to combine the two and uh, do a, a tour of uh, clinics um, where we talk with one, uh, one group, athletes with type 1, and a second group, people that need to start exercising um, you know, with type 1 and type 2. Um, I proudly serve on a couple of healthcare uh, organization boards. Uh, so Sanford Health, based in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and operating out of 26 states, um, 
incredible organization that I've been involved with since 2009. Uh, they're doing incredible work and, and, and um, so uh, partnering up with them uh, on a lot of good activities. I, I, I'm vice chairman of their international board currently. And uh, I'm also proudly serving on the board of the National Youth Sport Health and Safety Institute. And the way I finagled my way onto that board is uh, by, you know, uh, having some uh, expertise in um, the management of chronic conditions and sport and physical activity. And so watching out to make sure that there isn't discrimination going on in youth sport for kids with diabetes, that they aren't being benched. Uh, viewed as a liability by a volunteer coach, you know, with not maliciously, right, but just terrified because they don't have the information. Uh, Alexei, you were talking about how difficult it was for you in the two th early knots uh, that to find information on, on, on and, and how to manage this. If you're, a, you know, some kid's dad and volunteering for a youth sport organization, and one of the kids comes up and says, "I've got diabetes." Um, could be coma if I, I, I might black out if this is what happens, if it's a low blood sugar type of situation. Um, that's terrifying for a volunteer coach who doesn't know anything about diabetes. And I'll, they're oftentimes politely sidelined. Um, so that had happened. I had come across so many stories in this outreach work that I was doing in the years after the Olympics. Horrible stories. Really, really sad. Uh, you know, it, where, where, um, and, and so to prevent against that. Uh, discrimination um, is, is uh, something that I'm very passionate about to uh, make sure that um, equal access, equal access. Uh, this is important for um, for all people. Um, and, and, and so, yeah, um, these are the two boards that I, I, I've thrown myself in, in, involved with. And so bringing together the resources from these organizations that I work with uh, closely um, to provide uh, a, you know, an environment and, um, you know, some type of fun environment uh, where where they can you know walk away with a, a great experience and also some tools to help them on their path to success in sport. That's amazing to hear. Thank you for the work you're doing. That's very inspiring, especially for generations to come, so that they're not sidelined or you know cast out of something they really um, want to do and want to be involved with. That's that's great. Really great to hear. Awesome. Well, gosh, Gary, I can't thank you enough for, for taking the time today and, and spending this time with us and sharing these stories and, and about your career, about your diagnosis, about what you're doing now and, and about sharks. Um, uh, so so I just want to, you know, on behalf of uh, Lexi and I and, and everybody here, uh, you know, just just super grateful to to have be able to spend this time with you. Are we out of time? Can I, no, I don't can know I... that we are, man. You want to keep talking? Keep talking. Let's roll. I want to talk about Rx Sugar. All right, talk about it. I, you know, I don't like to shamelessly ask for plugs or anything, but if you want to talk about it. No, I have a question for you. I want, I want to know why. I want to know, you know what, what prompted you in this pursuit. And, and yeah, let's start there. Sure. Alexa, you want to go or you want me to take it? What do you want to do? Well, for me, it's a no-brainer. You know, this, yes. uh, these products are insane. I mean, my blood sugar is just, I mean, every time I have something with an RX sugar product, like my, my CGM is just straight line, which is just so, so much more convenient. It makes my life so much easier. They taste amazing. You know, um, I love getting the word out to the diabetes community. That's, that's where I thrive in this company. And, 
yeah, just super important to me. Um, I'm glad that I sort of got in on the early stages of this. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been awesome for me. What about you, John? Well, you know, I've always been in the, the food and beverage world. Um, and I was kind of at a point in my career where I wanted to do something more. I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to have an impact. Right. And so I didn't really think I could do that in consumer packaged goods. Right. And then I was fortunate enough to meet uh, Steve Hanley, who's our, our, our founder. Um, and he introduced me to RX Sugar and, and the mission to solve for sugar and to give uh people a, a real alternative right there. Sure. There's a lot of sugar substitutes out there, but something that was real, that was plant-based and natural and no blood sugar impact and zero net carbs and, and fully functional in the kitchen, right? Like there's just, I, I was almost like, Steve, this, it doesn't sound real. It sounds way too good to be true. Right. And, and then I realized, wow, I, I can be a part of something in the consumer packaged goods world and actually make a difference in people's lives, right? Like some of the stories that we get from folks um, who have type one diabetes or type two diabetes or, or other medical conditions where they can't have sugar. And now there's a kid who can have chocolate syrup for the first time and they're just like blown away by it. And it's the only thing they can have. Like those kind of stories, that's what this is about. And it has really just been, uh, I've been so grateful uh, to be able to be a part of it. How do you overcome the, the, the obstacle of, of previous artificial sweeteners? Because everybody, anybody who tried, I'm going to pick it out because it's awful sweet and low. Um, sure. <laughs> I'm not going to bet on that. But I mean, how do you get people to go, like, I've tried artificial sweeteners and, ugh. Um, you know, how do you, so, yeah, I mean, yes, you just listed out plant-based, all the good things that people are looking for and expecting these days. I think that we've got more consciousness among the general public about what they're putting into their bodies, the foods that they're fueling, the, 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 the detrimental effects of, of sugars and, and refined sugars and, and, and artificial stuff. Um, you know, so I, I guess the t it, in this regard, I imagine that it is a better time than any other to, hey, let's get people to reevaluate a, a, maybe a previous position on artificial sweeteners. But, um, yeah, it, it, has it been a challenge? Yeah, it's, it, it is. And, and, you know, anytime you're educating anybody on something new, right, it's a challenge, especially like you said, when they have preconceived notions about what you're probably – peddling, right? What you're trying to, to show them or, or sell them on, right? So for us, it's really just driving home that real rare natural sugar piece, right? And when you say that, they're like, okay, well, then it's just like sugar. And then you have to bring them back and reverse them and say, no, it's, it, it's not. Your body doesn't recognize it as sugar, so it doesn't process it as sugar, right? And that's really... The, the crux of it. And yeah. because of that, it doesn't have the blood sugar impact. It doesn't have the net carbs and, and you can have your sugar and eat it too. Right. That's kind of what, what we always say, because gosh, as Americans, just in general, right. And as, as people in the world, I mean, we just have a love hate relationship with sugar. We love how it tastes. We love the functionality of it, but it's the first thing we give up when we're trying to eat healthier. We just saw a study uh, of, you know, what are people looking to cut from their diet? And like the number one 
was sugar and number three was artificial sweeteners so they're looking for something and and we're that thing right this is the best of both worlds um but it's a challenge to educate people on it it's a challenge to like i said when steve first told me i was like nope too good to be true right but it's not um and and so that's that's what we're we're up against and and something we try to do every day through our packaging through social media through things like this podcast and and partnerships with with folks like jdrf and 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 you know just do our best to try to get the word out um and it'll take time but you know when we get the opportunity to explain it to folks the receptivity is is off the charts yeah yeah, interesting too because those you mentioned the statistics of people they want to lose a little bit of weight, especially out of these last couple of years. You know, maybe a little bit too, more couch time, a little bit more food, and the guilt, the psychological. We talk about mental health and and, and but there's yeah. a, nobody's measuring the, the guilt, right? Like, like the pecking guilt that. Oh, I shouldn't be having this. It's got the sugar, the sugar thing. And, you know, I know it's bad for me. And, you know, for the general population, that's not being tracked. And in some ways, it's so much. I mean, the, you always look at the silver lining. I always look at the silver linings. Um, and then that's in, in the diabetes diagnosis, when you have to manually do what your pancreas is doing and, and constantly monitor your blood sugar levels as type one. I'm able to see the fluctuations uh, of, of what I'm consuming, right? So I remember the first time I had a, a breakfast uh, sandwich uh, from a you know, fast food place after being diagnosed, it blew my mind how many units of fast-acting insulin I had to give myself for something that was this, this small, you know, just like something that I could fit in the palm of my hand. And, you know... So, Alexa, you said it earlier, you know, when, when you take the RX sugar and you see this flat line, it's so very different. And, that, and that's something that most people that don't have diabetes that aren't hooked up to a CGM aren't able to see. Uh, that this is, yeah, there, there, there's no blip in that, uh, no peak in the, uh, the, the, the reading for blood sugar spike. And... Um, yeah, it, it's uh, it's it, like I said, it's the, the timing is right, uh, and, and uh, I'm really uh, appreciative that you guys have the product out there, and, and I've enjoyed uh, trying it, uh, add it to my morning coffee, uh, and, and I'm a serious coffee drinker, so there's an afternoon and evening coffee as well. <laughs> same, same. Uh, so uh, yeah, I uh, thank. You. Hey, thank you. Um, happy to do it. This again, it's why we do it. So that's that's awesome to hear. We'll keep doing it, and uh, thanks for having me on. We will. Oh, sorry about that. We will keep doing it. Um, and uh, gosh, uh, again, thank you so much. Congratulations on on all that you've accomplished and achieved, and and continue to do. Um, and good luck to your kids in whatever pursuit they do. I loved that piece of, of no pressure and letting them choose their path. Um, again, as a dad, I have five daughters, and and we feel the same way of just letting them. Letting them pick which route they want to go, uh, which is really awesome. So um, thanks for joining us, Gary. Really, really have enjoyed this. Thanks, Gary. Thank you, John. Thank you, Lexi. Thank, Thank you. you.
the Swelty Podcast by RX Sugar. That's sweet and healthy. Swelty. Swelty.